0: Good morning, good afternoon. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. It has been such a joy uh, for my husband and me and our two daughters to be a part of this community, a part of this church, and we have felt so welcome, and it's a privilege today uh, to be able to teach you, and Jarrett told me, he gave me seven chapters in Proverbs and said you pick whatever you want to talk about in those seven chapters, and if you've been reading along, you know that like every verse He's just pregnant with power and a great principle, and there were so many options. So my husband had an idea for me. He says, I got, I got the perfect one for you. He said, Proverbs 25:24, Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I don't know what he was getting at, and then he said, wait, Nance, wait, wait. I, you could do like a two-part series, because I found another one, Proverbs 27:15, A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a <laughs> rainstorm. Now, when we were newlyweds, uh, and if I would become, you know, just the littlest bit whiny or complaining, instead of reading this whole verse to me, he, he had a code. He would just look at me and go, drip, drip, drip. So, you know, we, uh, yeah, nice, right? So we are not going to talk about quarrelsome wives today, as Jared said, because <clears throat> I get to choose what we're talking about. Uh, we are going to talk about humility. And this is a virtue that God cares deeply about. In fact, I think it is one of the truest tests of whether we're having this inner transformation that Jesus can bring to our lives. It's a a piece of very important evidence, and it's addressed all over the Bible, but it's hugely misunderstood. So let's talk about humility. Now, in this age of selfies and Instagram and creating our own brand and managing our image, this trait of humility is remarkable. It's rare. You know, we're astonished if we see it in another person because we are urged in our culture to promote ourselves and to make sure that we receive the recognition and the salary and the position and the title and the office location and the honor and the prestige that we might think we deserve. And we think, if I don't promote myself, no one else will. In fact, recently, at a graduation ceremony at Howard University, Sean Diddy Combs had this to say. He said, nobody is going to take you to the front of the line unless you push your way to the front of the line. Is that true? Is the only way to get honor and recognition to push for it ourselves. That's the culture that you and I live in. Now, as Jared said, for many years, I had the honor to serve on a church staff and to be a leader in a local church. But I'm in a new season of my life now, new transition. And I've been doing some leadership coaching, coming alongside uh, some young leaders, and also some speaking and teaching. So in this new season, some people way smarter than me have come alongside me and said, you know what, Nance? You need to put yourself out there more. You need to get more active on social networking. You need to define your brand and promote your work. And I have to tell you, a part of that makes me feel very uncomfortable. But if I'm really truthful with you and go a little deeper, I would tell you this. I struggle with humility on a daily basis. I am learning that I have an addiction to approval and affirmation, that I care way too much what other people think of me. And God has been teaching me some hard lessons over the past several years about what it means to be truly humble and I'm hoping that several of you are much further along in this grace than I am. But maybe some of my learnings can help you continue to grow in this virtue. So we've been learning from Proverbs. I invite you to grab the Bible that's in the seat pocket in front of you. Or if you're in the front row, I think it's under your seat. Um, it's right in the, kind of the middle of the Bible. I want you to turn to page 453, if you're looking at the blue uh, Bibles. And just kind of put your finger in there, because I want to give you a little bit of background. The writers of the Proverbs have a lot to say about humility. In the 31 chapters, there are many, many verses about pride and humility. And it strikes me that Solomon, who's one of the primary writers of this book of wisdom, actually had boatloads of reasons to be a prideful man. You may have heard he was the wisest man who ever lived. One day, God came to him and he told him he could ask for anything he wanted. I mean, wouldn't you like that? God come to you and say, you can have one wish. You can have anything you want. And instead of asking for wealth or fame or power, Solomon asked for wisdom. And God was so pleased with his request that in 1 Kings, you don't need to flip there now, but in 1 Kings, this is what God said. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Just to give you a little glimpse of the vast extent of Solomon's wealth, later on in 1 Kings we learn that the weight of gold that he received on an annual basis just from other kings was over 25 tons. He had a throne that was overlaid with ivory and pure gold. And there were six steps leading up to this throne, with 12 lions standing on the steps, like the Art Institute on steroids, just leading up. He had accumulated 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses imported from Egypt. He drank from gold goblets. Just think, like, way, way beyond Bill Gates. So maybe, just maybe, this great king had a few reasons to feel some pride. Now, we're going to camp on two Proverbs from, uh, that he wrote about humility, though there are many, many others. Let's look at Proverbs 22, verse 4. Again, page 453, Proverbs 22:4. 4. Solomon said, Humility is the fear of the Lord, its wages are riches and honor and life. Clearly, Solomon believes that you and I are to hold God in the highest esteem, and that if we give him the appropriate reverence, all the rest will follow in due time. Then look a few chapters later, flip ahead to page 456, Proverbs 27. This is the second one I want to look at. Proverbs 27, verse two. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. We're not supposed to worry about promoting ourselves, about our status or our place. Solomon says a humble person doesn't push for praise, exactly the opposite of the advice from Mr. Combs. The Bible clearly teaches us that humility is a virtue that we should aspire to. And Jesus modeled a life of humility. But what does it actually look like? What do you picture when you think of a humble person? Many of us hold misconceptions. We may picture a humble person as someone who is filled with self-contempt, who sees themselves as like a worthless worm Who's passive and tentative and completely lacking in any self confidence. And I'm here to tell you that is not the biblical picture of humility. It's not even close. We all know people with a habit of putting themselves down and deflecting any praise. And this false attitude is really full of self pity. It actually shows kind of a prideful preoccupation with place. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. See that? It's not being preoccupied with yourself, but it's not thinking less of yourself. I'm learning that fundamentally, God hates pride. And pride lurks very subtly in most of us, and it masks itself in a thousand different ways. In my own life, I'm uncovering the subtlety of this sin. I can see pride when I'm in a meeting and I want to make sure everybody knew that that was my really good idea, right? Or I'm in a disagreement with my husband and I can't let go of my need to be right. Or maybe I see it in conversations with friends where for some reason I just feel compelled to mention that I've read a certain book or spoken at a certain place or had a conversation with someone that they might be impressed by. And when you and I are prideful, even in small ways, what we're doing is grabbing the honor that rightfully belongs to God and to others. I'm learning that it all comes down to how we see. Humility requires right-sizing, right-sizing. And fundamentally, the first thing I need to right-size is my view of God. When we ground ourselves in a right view of God, we almost can't help but be humble. God is in every possible respect immeasurably superior to you and to me. If we truly know God and the wonder of his power and his grace, his sovereignty, his purity, his justice, and his boundless love, we're going to see a gargantuan gap between us and him. Not just a little gap, a gargantuan gap. And the more you truly see God, you'll get right-sized and you'll become more humble. Remember that Solomon told us that humility is rooted in a healthy fear of God. That's not a fear like this kind of fear. That's like a reverence. That's a holy reverence. We see God and we want to acknowledge how other than us he actually is. Years ago, one writer titled his book, Your God is Too Small. Is your God too small? Have you kind of seen him as just sort of like us humans, kind of like your buddy, more than the almighty, eternally faithful, outrageously grace-giving, magnificent, and absolutely holy God, completely other than you and me? You know, we remind ourselves in a very practical way of those truths when we gather together and sing songs like we did this afternoon. You come together and you say words about God that are true, and you remind yourself that he is other than you. Another way that I get an accurate view of God personally is I love to be out in nature. And now that it's summer and when it's not raining, it's really wonderful to go out and to be outside. The home that we've lived in for 23 years is out in the suburbs. And there's gorgeous green grass and flowering trees and wide open spaces of beauty. But for the summer, for three months, my husband and I are renting an apartment here in the West Loop, and we're getting a taste you know, of city life. And for the most part, I am loving it. But I have to admit, I miss some of those wide open spaces. So a few days ago, I took a walk all the way down to Millennium Park, and I was in the Lurie Gardens. And I don't know if you've been there lately, but kind of what they're featuring is this purple sage absolutely gorgeous, a really deep purple. And if you sit there for a moment and look at it, you're just struck by how magnificently beautiful it is. And when I look at flowers like that, or I hear the birds singing, or I see the water sparkling on Lake Michigan, I am filled with awe at the one who made all of that. And I look up to the heavens and I say, you are God and I am not. And humility begins to sneak up because I right-size my view of him. But then I have another job of right-sizing. I need to right-size my view of God and then right-size my view of myself. Humble people see themselves accurately. Now, I'm really learning this from Beanie. I learn a lot from Beanie. Beanie is my dog. I want to show you a picture of her. Yeah, I know, she's really cute. But Beanie, for two years, was a suburban dog. And now she's learning to be a city dog. And it's a lot of adjustment going down the elevator and all that kind of stuff. And so we've been hanging out a lot at the dog park over on Sangamon. I don't know if you've been over there. And there's a gated area where they, you can open it up, and the dogs can just sort of run free. Now, Beanie only weighs 10 pounds, and she goes into this gated area and she just boldly goes up to huge Labradors and German Shepherds, any kind of dog. She starts nosing them, you know, like dogs do, and checking them out. And often, they bark really loud at her, or they nip at her, as if to say, get away from me, you tiny little thing. And she jumps back and looks at us with these big, sad eyes, like, you know, what did I do wrong? And we scoop her up, and I walk away, and I secretly judge all those dog owners who are (laughs) so bad. But the truth is that Beanie doesn't see herself accurately. She needs to look in the mirror. She's only 10 pounds. She needs to right-size her view. So now I'm going to go back to the Bible and try to make a transition here. (laughs) Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Okay, so what does that mean? I think it means to see the truth about ourselves, both our strengths and our weaknesses, our gifts and our limits, who we are when we're our best healthy self and who we are when we are our toxic, dysfunctional shadow kind of self. And when it comes to right-sizing ourselves, our view of ourselves, I think some of us tilt one way and some another. Let's start with those of us who tilt towards seeing ourselves as maybe a little better than we actually are. Those of us who tend to lust for affirmation or who manage our image, who subtly or not so subtly push for attention in our rightful place. Our job in right-sizing is to take a closer look at all the ways in which we are not who God has asked us to be. To regularly examine ourselves in the bright spotlight of God's holiness and to take a look and say, you know what, there are some things where I am not, I am not healthy and right. We need to let go of our need to be noticed and honored. But there are other people in this room today who tilt in the other direction, and you might be hearing when Jared said we're gonna talk about humility, and you might think, you know, I got that. I don't don't struggle with that one at all. You're making your grocery list right now or thinking about what you're gonna do when you get out of church. You think humility is not a problem for you because you're inclined to see yourself as of little worth. You don't think maybe that you deserve any honor and praise because when you do look at yourself, all you see are your faults and your failures. And you might tend to put yourself down a lot and think that that is humility. But in many cases, it is actually a false humility. You see, to get right-sized, your job is to see your incredible worth as a son or daughter of God. Your job is to not hold back from what you can uniquely contribute to this world, you uniquely, to see yourself as a treasure. A man I know was attending a church gathering where a young woman sang a solo, and it really moved him. It was very, very powerful for him. And so he wanted to tell her that, and he went up to her after the gathering, and he said, I just wanna thank you for that song. You did a great job, and it, it really touched me. And she kind of put her arm out and she said, oh, it wasn't me. He said, oh, I thought it was you, you know, and he was kind of looking to see if he had picked the wrong singer. And she said, no, it was God. And he told me later, I just wish she would have said thank you. You know, And, and some of us deflect and we think that humility is denying who we are. But actually, true humility leads to freedom for all of us. A humble person is a very free person because the need for pretending is over. Humility sets us free to fully express ourselves, to delight in who God created us to be while also, also, being crystal clear on our limits and where we fall short. Now one of the ways that God is helping me to right-size my view of myself is a spiritual practice that I wanna tell you about because I hope it might help you too. It's taking a few moments on a regular basis to do some self-examination to reflect back on the moments in our days and to see when did I feel God's presence and feel his love flowing through me? And when was I a little off? Or maybe more than a little off. Like when was I irritable or gossipy or unkind or arrogant or angry? And we bring those into the light of God's holiness and we admit them and own them and ask for forgiveness. So I want to share with you this little spiritual practice that I found helpful, and we're going to have an opportunity to try it out in just a moment. It dates back 450 years, so like way before selfies and Instagram, 450 years to a priest named St. Ignatius. He lived in a remote village in northern Spain. You've probably heard of him. He urged people to engage in a process that he called reviewing our days, and he used words that we don't use much anymore called consolation and desolation. So in the seat pocket, pull out this little card and a pen, if you would, please. St. Ignatius invites us to reflect on the previous day. So we're going to think about Saturday, all right? Um, Some of you, it's a little foggy. Remember yesterday? Think about yesterday for a second here. And don't write anything down yet. Let me just give you a few uh, guidelines, and then I'm going to give you a few minutes to, to work on this. Let's talk about consolation first. These are moments yesterday, even little moments, where maybe you felt at peace, maybe you were filled with joy, or closely connected to God or another person. Maybe there was a moment when you listened really well to a friend or a family member. Maybe you had a simple moment of laughter or rest or delight. It was a life-giving connection to God, not necessarily is the consolation list all the good things that happened to you yesterday and the other list all the bad things? Think more about you, who you were in whatever circumstances you found yourself in. So those are authentic, joyful, healthy moments. But then there's the desolation side. And that's the opposite kind of moment when maybe you turned in on yourself. Maybe you were pushing for control or approval. It could be a moment that you were drained of energy, and you think back, why did I have no energy in that moment? Maybe you felt anxious, or bitter, or arrogant, or angry. Maybe underneath it all, there was some anger. There's a lack of peace in desolation moments, and we pull away from either someone else or from God. In fact, God seems very far away in our moments of desolation. So again, it's not just good moments and bad moments. It's how were you? within those particular moments. And so I'm going to ask you to make a little list, very short. We're just going to take a couple minutes here. And write down a few phrases on each side. And on the consolation side, it gives you a chance when you think about it. Like for example, one of mine on consolation is last night. My two daughters, who are 24 and 21, are both in town. And the four of us got to go out to dinner together here in the West Loop. And it was just a wonderful evening because we're not together as often anymore. And to be able to look in their eyes, I mean, it was just—it just gave me as a mom great, great joy. So when you think of something like that, you write it down, and then you can quickly say, "Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you for that moment." On the desolation side, when you own something and you want—I got very irritated with my husband at one point yesterday. We were cleaning something, and the way I didn't like the way he was doing it. So I think back to that. And I was trying to control the situation, and I got irritated. And so when you think of something like that, you own it. Say, God, I'm sorry that I wasn't more loving and patient in that moment, and you acknowledge that, okay? So we're going to just play a little bit of music, and you think of a few of these kind of moments, and just have a little whisper time with God, and then uh, we'll keep talking. So that gave you just a little taste of, of this kind of exercise. And I encourage you to consider a couple times a week. Um, maybe some of you are going to want to try to do this every day. Uh, some folks find it most helpful at bedtime. And uh, you just grab a scrap of paper, put a line down the middle, and, and think. Or sometimes you just do it mentally, and you don't even uh, you know, write it down. Um, some of us are too tired at night, and so you might want to do it the next morning and think about the previous day. But it's a tool for all of us to get right-sized. And I think we won't be as likely to tilt toward a view of ourselves that is either too big or too small. We'll be just right, free, and humble in the best sense of the word. And we'll also be humble in our relationships with other people. You know, the most humble person that I have ever known was my father. His name was Warren Moore. I know my husband's name is Warren. I thought when you were supposed to marry someone like your dad that they had to have the same name. So I, I got... You know, two Warrens in my life. But my dad was a fighter pilot in uh, World War II and the Korean War. He earned the Distinguished Flying Cross Medal. And uh, here's a photo photo of him by his jet, and then another one, I think, in his uh, uniform. Yeah, handsome guy. Um, My dad didn't come to faith in Christ until he was 25. And he went over to Korea. And while he was a Marine there, there were some young teenage Korean boys who cleaned the barracks um, for the the Marines, and they would have been very easy to overlook, particularly with the cultural and language barriers. But the young 15-year-old who was cleaning my dad's uh, barracks was a young guy named Jungmin Lee. Now, my dad, I need to tell you, um, was, again, a new follower of Jesus. But also, he was a very shy, quiet man, certainly not a public speaker. But he started building a friendship with Jungmin. And eventually, over time, they started talking about some spiritual things. Jungman came from a Buddhist family. He had uh, 11 siblings. And after a period of time, Jungman made a decision that he wanted to be a follower of Jesus also. Well, my dad came back from the war to, their, uh, to the church they went to on the south side of Chicago. And that church raised some money to bring Jungman over here to the Moody Bible Institute to study uh, for the ministry. He eventually moved to L.A. and built a thriving Korean-American church, one of the largest ones uh, in the country. And he was a man who always remembered the part that my dad had played in his life. In fact, uh, in LA, they called him, my folks to the church, that's Jungman and my folks, and uh, they honored my dad that night. My mom has some weird green ferns framing her face there. Um, it's not really what she looks like, but anyway. Uh, my father passed away five months ago today, exactly um, five months, on January 22nd, at the age of 92. And at his funeral, uh, my brother and I both had the opportunity to share tributes about my father's life, to tell some stories, and to give him honor. And I was driving to the funeral, and on the way there, I believe God gave me a bold idea. And I really kind of rejected it at first, because it sounded a little wacky, but uh, I decided to trust God with it. So here's what happened. Um, First, as I was describing my dad, I said things like this to the 200 plus people who braved yet another January snowstorm uh, to come out to this funeral. I said to them, you know, my dad was not a splashy kind of guy. He served in very hidden ways. There were some young men uh, that he got to know who didn't have fathers. And I remember him helping them fill out applications for college and learn how to set up a budget. There was another family where um, there were three girls and a single mom. The dad was an alcoholic and had really destroyed that family in so many ways. And my dad contributed financially to them, but also counseled them and helped that mom in some very significant ways. I could go on and on. My dad was the kind of guy who you know, s- cooked at the pancake breakfast and washed our kitchen floors. Every neighbor knew that my dad would help them with anything that they needed. And so I told everyone, you know, you've heard from me and my brother about my dad's wonderful uh, life of love, which was really only possible because of the transforming work of God in his life. But my dad cooperated with God, and he made some very righteous choices. So I said to everyone, you know, like me, you go to a funeral like this one, and some of you knew my dad very well, and you want to honor him in some way. I mean, you've honored him by showing up, but you want to express kind of what's growing inside of you. I said, you know, my dad's face was never on the cover of a magazine, and as far as I know, he never received a standing ovation in his life. But I said, it occurs to me that maybe the most appropriate thing we could do right now would be to stand to our feet and honor the life of Warren Moore. And over 200 people immediately stood to their feet and they started whooping and hollering and clapping and clapping and they just couldn't stop they wanted to express honor to my dad and you know i sat there thinking my dad had such an accurate view of who god is he had a real reverence for god and he had such a clear view of himself he wasn't impressed With all of his accomplishments, he he was very clear about who he was and who he wasn't. And he definitely saw other people as more important than himself. His eyes were right-sized. And God brought honor on this humble man. And I really felt like I think maybe he's watching from heaven. I hope he sees all these people honoring him. Remember, Proverbs 27, too says, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, an outsider, and not your own lips. And I truly want to be more like my earthly dad and more like my heavenly father as well. Can you imagine, my friends, what Soul City would be like, what this church would be like, if we all grew in this grace of humility? What would our workplaces and our homes and our neighborhoods be like if we saw God accurately? We got right-sized. I think we would walk into this place and we'd be on the lookout for someone to encourage, for someone who's kind of lingering in the shadows, someone who might need a little help. I think we would be at peace in our workplaces, wherever we work. I think we would show up with what we can contribute and give, but we wouldn't be pushing for recognition or for position and and power. In our homes, I think we'd be the first one to empty the dishwasher. I think we would be the one to quickly ask our roommate or our spouse or our child about their day and then really, really listen. We'd get the focus off of ourselves and onto others. We'd walk into the 7-Eleven or the grocery store or the train station or any other place that our day takes us, and we would not overlook the cashier or the waitress or the bus driver or the homeless person. No human being would be considered unworthy of our respect and our attention and our courtesy. And we would be so peaceful and free because we would no longer be trying so hard to impress. We would not be putting ourselves down and hiding our strengths. We would be right-sized, right-sized. We'd be far more impressed with the wonder of God and others than we are with ourselves. And you know what? When we live a life of humility, in the end, others will heap honor on us just like they did for my dad. We'll let go of our striving, and honor will come anyway. So here's my assignment for you this week. First of all, a couple times at least, try this exercise. If it doesn't work for you, let it go, but see if it might help to do a little self-examination and look at your consolation moments and your desolation moments. And then here's a prayer that we could start with every morning. Every morning, even before your feet hit the floor and you're lying in bed, say, God, help my eyes to be right-sized. God, help me to be right sized today in how I see you, how I see myself, and how I see other people. And over time, I promise you, if we do this, God will do a really good work in all of us, and humility will sneak up on us unawares. Let's pray together. Holy, magnificent, almighty Father, we're sorry that sometimes we've made you too small. We're sorry that sometimes we don't give you the reverence and the honor and the respect that you so deserve. And Father, we're also sorry that we just haven't looked at ourselves accurately with sober judgment. And some of us have thought too much of ourselves and others too little, but help us to get right-sized. Help us, God, to see the wonder you made when you made us, but also to see where we still need to grow and where we need to allow you to do your transforming work. Thank you for this virtue of humility that you call us to. God, may we grow in this grace, and may this increasingly be a place known for its humble people. Thank you for being so present in our gathering here, and for Jesus, whose eyes were always right-sized. We thank you for him, and it's his, in his name that we pray. Amen.